You're listening to The Host here on Sin. My name is Caitlin um, and I'm here with Jen Cloa, uh, who has just released their fifth studio album, I'm the River, the River is Me. It is much anticipated and triumphant release. Congrats, Jen. And thank you so much for joining me today. Ah, oh, good to be here. Thanks for having me, Caitlin. Of course. Um, this album feels like such a celebration of uh, identity, both in like an individual and communal perspective. And I just wondered if you could chat us through uh, some of the inspiration and what it means to you to finally have it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm I'm coming in today for those listening um, on Wurundjeri land, uh, unceded Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders uh, past and present. Um, I guess, you know, this album is my sort of, I guess, reconnection with my culture. Um, well, a part of my culture. I'm Māori on my mother's side and uh, and Irish and Croatian as well, Irish on my dad's side. Um, but this album really, I guess, delves into what my connection to my Māori culture or Māori tanga means to me. And I think the reason why it became, you know, such a focus was due to all of the stuff that we've seen happen on these lands with bushfires, floods, pandemics. It's been a concerning time. You know, we've all felt the anxiety, um, particularly I think the burden on younger generations coming up who have to live through, you know, what is happening right now. Um, and I feel like, you know, Indigenous culture still has that beautiful connection um, through knowledge systems to land, water and sky. And so I am the river, the river is me, or kawo to awa, ko to awa kawo is a Māori proverb or whakatoki is what it's known in uh, te reo Māori, the Māori language. And it really sums up, I think, you know, that that beautiful idea that we are not separate from, we are part of, we've always been a part of, we're an important part of, you know, we've always been kaitiaki, caretakers, custodians, and perhaps we've just forgotten that our responsibility as humans on this earth. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautiful. And you've answered like a few of my other questions already, but I guess I'll go <laughs> straight to, um, I read that it was the Maori proverb and I guess that would connect then to your album artwork too, where you're very much immersed within the river and that's sort of a beautiful connection. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, that's a great point that you bring up because that river is, uh, Totowai is the name of the river, the Awa. And it's uh, about four and a half hours north of Tamaki Makoto, otherwise known as Auckland. Mm -hmm. And it's near a little town called Matangiro, which is where my mother, grandmother, great-grandmother and generations well before them grew up, lived, um, bathed in that river, gathered food from that river, watered their gardens from that river, um, and so, you know, if I was going to call my album, I am the river, the river is me, then I knew that I needed to go to that river and be in it. So yeah. the album photo is me, <clears throat> you know, immersed in the river. Um, and it was a it was a really special um, experience, actually, to be um, to be there um, in that river. I went up with a friend 
um, Hedda Totuku Orm, who is also Māori and has been a family friend for years, amazing photographer. And it was like freezing cold, <laughs> looks freezing. July, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> middle of July. It was pouring wow. with rain. It was about five o'clock at night, so it was nearly dark. And and we pulled up and she was like, I think, I think you should get in. I was like, really? You know, <laughs> do we have to do this now? And she was like, get in the river. Um, and so, yeah, we had about 20 minutes before the sun, you know, the light totally disappeared. But I think, you know, it really captured this sort of brooding, dramatic energy when you look at that photo. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it was so a big, awesome. it was big. Yeah, <laughs> huge. Oh, it's so powerful. It's so awesome. I think you have a, a really great collection of artwork for all your albums, actually. Um, mm. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's beautiful. I also guess I have to, it's been about five years since your last self-titled album. So did you take a bit of a purposeful long pause? And I wonder if it's a bit nerve wracking to release uh, a new album after about five years in between. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because... I didn't feel ready after my last album and I toured a bit and I sort of pulled into the middle of 2018, late 2018, and I was like, I don't feel like I have another album in me yet. Um, I need to do a bit more life stuff to work out what it is I want to say next. And so I ended up making a record with my friends, Mia Dyson and Liz Stringer. <clears throat> we put out an album in 2019 called um, Dyson Stringer Clot and um, we toured that and did all the video clips so that you know we managed ourselves that was quite a lot of work yeah. um, we were actually mid-tour when the pandemic struck and we had to come home and you know obviously cancel a whole bunch of dates and then I was just here and I was like oh well looks like it's time to write my own album and and I sort of you know settled into that and it was you know it was lockdown sucked, but it was great as far as having no social obligations or work <laughs> obligations, Yeah, which is good when you want to write, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why it took a bit longer was I was then recording over a pandemic and lockdowns and, um, you know, I couldn't just get into a studio with my band. I tried, you know. Yeah. So we ended up recording, you know, in probably four different studios, both here in Nam um, and also back home in Aotearoa. And we were just sending files back and forth, which was quite a common process for yeah. a lot of people. And I guess how would you sort of say, you sort of explained a little bit there, but your style of or process of writing music changed from your last album to this one? Yeah, I think this one was a lot more. I mean, I've always collaborated and I've always had great bands. And, uh, you know, I think that was another thing was my last band I made two albums with. I've made five albums, but the the band previous to the one that I now have, um, we made, you know, that self-titled album that you just mentioned and another album called In Blood Memory. Um, and that band was amazing, you know, Courtney Barnett on guitar, Bone Sloan on bass, who plays in Courtney's band still, um, Jen Shalakis on drums, who's still in my band. Um, they've been in every band, um, made every album. Um, but, you know, I was kind of like, wow, you know, I I don't quite know where to go after having such an incredible band, um, you know, what's next. And so with this record I really leaned into opening up to collaboration and exploring different collaborative partnerships. And I worked with the amazing Annika Ostendorf, who has a project called Hachiku, 
Um, and we were in each other's bubble over lockdown. So we'd eat, you know, fake meat burgers and, you know, hang out in their studio and, um, you know, started recording demos and they brought, you know, their whole world of sound to things. And then my friend Tom Healy in Aotearoa, who's based in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, um, he's actually been a long-time collaborator on, you know, he played on my second album, Hidden Hands, um, but he's really become something of a producer and engineer. He made Marlon Williams's most recent record as well. Oh, wow. um, and so, yeah, Tom and Cass, who also play in a beautiful um, iconic folk band called Tiny Ruins from Aotearoa. Um, so, yeah, you know, Tom and Annika really had the biggest input, but then there was like another 22 musicians and engineers that yeah. worked on this record, like, and legends like Donovan, Kylie yeah. August, um, Liz Stringer, um, just so, you know, so many great people who contributed, yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask, I was like, I was looking through who was on it. It's like Emma Don, like where Emma's on this? Like it was really awesome to see such a large amount of other people. Um, and I was going to ask you how important collaboration is within your music, and I think you just answered that very, very much. So, <laughs> I um, sorry to keep answering all of no, your questions. I love it. Asking them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's good. Yeah, that's so awesome. And of course, this album is one of the first times that you've really flowed between speaking English and Te Reo Maori. And I wondered how that's felt for you. Yeah, I mean, initially it was pretty scary because I'd never spoken it aloud and I only started learning the language about four years ago. So it's not like I'm in any way, you know, I'm not even conversational, let alone fluent. Um, but the thing with Te Reo Māori is the vowel sounds, they're very different to English. And those are the things that you really have to train your mind and your mouth to kind of sync up Um and thankfully, you know, I feel like from practicing a lot and speaking it and singing songs, and I wrote a waiata Māori, so a song entirely in Māori that's on this record, and it's also sprinkled throughout, but I've, I've had help as well. Um, there's an amazing um, songwriter and performer, um, Thea is her name. She's a, um, a, a, a Māori artist from Aotearoa based in Auckland. Um, and she also has a project called Takahu, which is all songs in Māori. And she's fluent and really um, knows a lot about the language. So she helped me a lot on this record and would just listen to my pronunciation and, you know, send me little tape recordings going, yeah, you know, you just need to know that it needs to be more like air. <laughs> yeah. um, and she also wrote the uh, the Waiata Māori, He Tokotu Moana, with me. Um, so yeah, I think it was, you know, initially really scary and then it was something I just really enjoyed. And now I just love singing in Māori because the vowel sounds are so open and beautiful and round and it really suits singing. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to do a little left turn, but, um, this album has some incredible, gay moments and as a queer yes. person myself <laughs> bring the gay moments <laughs> um I found there's a lot to relate to and just really love about this whole album and of course my witch was like that one that one track that really stands out um not just and for, the video clip oh is my god don't even get me started <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a queer daydream it's crazy yeah um, I think it kind of broke the internet on the north did. side it really when did. that when it came out for at least half a day, maybe two, 
yeah, yeah. it was incredible <laughs> it's so funny it's it's fantastic yeah the reaction like me and my partner were like oh my god what the hell this is mad. um <laughs> get in that spa a lot of people have been like I wish I'd been in that spa and I'm like well yeah. you know you gotta work hard to get in yeah. the spa cauldron. there's a lot of work that has to happen before you get an invite to the spa cauldron but you know absolutely next album you're in you Maybe. and your partner I'll get you Let's in the see. spa I'll stop it don't even don't even tempt me <laughs> um yeah I was gonna say it's not just great for how brilliant it is, but it has like a um, almost popish sound in comparison to other uh, parts of the album. And I read somewhere that you almost weren't going to put it on for that reason. So I wondered like why you decided to keep it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember the first time I played this song in the rehearsal room with my very queer band, Annika and Shalaki. It was just the three of us and they hadn't heard the lyrics. And you can hear on the demo that we recorded, they just start pissing themselves laughing when they work out what I'm saying around like set a thirst trap and, yeah, just all of those stupid, hilarious lines. Um, <laughs> but I just thought I've got to, you know, they just have to be in the world. They're so I was laughing so much when I was writing them. And I think it's that thing where like, you know, writing a sexy song because it it it's got a vibe right like it's Absolutely. definitely got a vibe but like it's kind of a bit of a gross thing to do <laughs> like, oh my god am I really gonna do like a sexy pop song and I was like yeah you are you are gonna do it because you know it, you haven't done it before mm. and I think that's the thing is like I always like to push myself because I don't want to be boring I don't want to repeat myself like I was reading these funny comments on a review um, the other day. It was a review somewhere in the Netherlands. And I think the person who'd reviewed it is quite a respected, you know, broadcaster. And he was sort of saying, you know, initially I wasn't too sure about this record, you know, because I loved the previous one so much, um, but it's really grown on me, you know. And then there were all of these people like, it's not rock enough. Like the last album was full of crunchy rock guitars and it sounded like Velvet Underground and this one's too poppy and this one's too that and the other. And I was like, great. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I want to do. Like I never want people to go, oh, it's just like the last album, you know, and, and it's not as good. Like that would be a real burn is like totally. if you made an album like your last one but it just wasn't as good. And so I think, you know, I'm always trying to like, okay, let's speak Māori in this album. Let's talk about climate grief because no one wants to talk about that shit. Like how do we do these things? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, with My Witch, I was like, it's such a fun song and it it came up really well. You know, there were songs that didn't make it onto the record because they just weren't quite realised in our recording and, and mixing. But My Witch just really started to bloom and I think it was when, like, Tom Healy dropped that, you know, like, kind of Prince guitar solo, like really raunchy, sleazy guitar solo. It's hilarious. And it also sort of sounds like a witch all at once. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, um, I was like, oh, no, this has got to go on, yeah. you know. So it's kind of a pretty crazy, weird album in that regard in that, you know, like it, it jumps all around the place. But I think people can handle that. And I think the other thing about it is like every song is a world unto itself. And I put so much attention to detail and care and love into every song that you can just pick a couple of songs that you like from the album and live with those you know take what you want absolutely yeah and that everything you just said that it, it resonates like when you listen to it as well it's not something that you know, there's no point where you're pausing and like oh I could skip this song it's like every song has its own thing 
Yeah, I mean, there's no greater crime than making boring art. Completely. You know, there's just no greater crime. You know, no one needs it. The world doesn't need any more boring art. There's plenty of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the only way I can not make boring art, and someone else might hear it and go, this is the most boring thing I've ever heard. But, you know, for me, it's like the only way I can at least aspire to not make boring art is to not be bored myself. Yeah. And the only way I can not be bored is to do stuff that isn't, easy and that is you know pushing me outside of my comfort zone yeah yeah and I think that's what any fan of you wants to is they want something completely different as well the same yeah and of course it within the my witch music video you have George Mack, Moju, uh, Kira Peru all these amazing queer contemporary artists that um, are in your circle and um, I think at Sin and on the hoist, we really try and uh, spotlight those in Oz who, in the industry, uh, go unnoticed or are emerging um, with their music. And I wondered if you have anyone that you sort of have your eye on that's uh, sort of around that generational bracket that's really exciting you at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many great, um, you know, queer artists coming up, um, you know, in just just in Melbourne alone, you know, artists like Leo, I think it's really amazing. Enola, um, you know, there's just stacks of of great artists that are coming through. Um, I don't know if they're queer, but I really love the new Bumpy, um, I think EP or mini album. Um, what else? Oh, there's so much around, but yeah, I mean, we're so spoiled in this town. Yeah, like, absolutely. We just have such a great music culture. And, you know, it's something I always bang on about is, you know, we, I, I've, you know, travelled a lot with my music and I've gone and checked out other music scenes and got a sense of, you know, those big cities like Berlin and New York and London and um, Melbourne is, you know, right up there, you know, if not more sort of varied and exciting as far as I'm concerned, as far as what we what we produce here and then how it then goes on, you know, to be on the world stage and is just so, you know, stands up, you know, it stands up. And, you know, the thing is, is like never underestimate, you know, SIN or, you know, 3CR or PBS or Triple R, um, you know, that network here of like extraordinary public broadcasting that feeds into the grid, you know, so it's all connected. You know, it's all of that stuff, you know, is really important to have that fertile ground for new artists coming up. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't until I started getting involved in community radio that I was just like, this is incredible. Just the the shoulders that everyone can stand on to to keep going. And it's pretty special to be a part of. I don't know what else I have to ask. I think I've gone through (laughs) most of what I was going to chat about. Oh, I was going to, I was just going to mention, um, I work as an usher and I got to see uh, Moju do uh, their performance with MSO the other night, which was just like incredible. Um, And Nagaya was on the night after. And that's just like the, one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to work on. And yeah, they're both pretty young people working in with these amazing, like, symphony orchestras that's crazy oh, <laughs> but it's really absolutely cool. yeah. yeah I was in for the Moju show um yeah. yeah it was just I mean I think the thing that's so great about Moju is I, I actually met them you know 20 years ago when I first moved to Nam and we were just like jamming in my kitchen and um 
you know, just gigging around at little pubs and stuff. And they were like, you know, 10 years younger than me, you know. Um, I didn't realise they were so young. I was like, you were that young? And they were like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just to see their sort of that. I, I love artists like Moju and Liz Stringer and um, oh, I'm just trying to think of some other sort of contemporaries as far as coming up around the same time as me. But those artists that just like continue to just do their thing and build an audience slowly. And mm. then when that moment comes where, you know, someone decides that they're going to shine a light on their work or a song or um, they have this really solid foundation of yeah. work and experience behind them. And I think you saw that on Friday. I mean, the same with Nairi, you know, it's like they just, they, they, they have their chops, you know, and they can be on that stage. The audience is immediately put to rest. They know they're in safe hands. They're both performers that like really bring the audience in. Um, and I think that can only come from, you know, working really hard. And what I love about those two artists is, yeah, you know, obviously both people of colour, um, both Indigenous Fano, um, but also, you know, um, independent, independent. You know, they, every success that that Nairi and uh, Moju have um being able to, you know, make for themselves, even being in like Hamer Hall and Sydney Opera House, which is the pinnacle as far mm. as I'm concerned, has been on their own hard work and merit and, and nothing more because the music industry has never really been about, um, you know, offering uh, Indigenous people of colour, um, you know, platforms until just recently when it became, you know, like, a, a cool thing to do, you know, but it wasn't 10 years ago and it certainly wasn't 20 years ago when they mm. first started. So it's good to see things slowly shifting. Um, mm. I guess my final question that I, I tend to ask everyone in that interview is if you were to be able to collaborate with absolutely anybody, dead or alive, who, who would it be? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's a big question. I mean, I think, you know, because I we're on Zoom and I can see in the background... Um, <laughs> that you have that iconic um Robert Mapplethorpe photo of Patty Smith. Yes. That would be pretty I I would just love to be on a stage singing with Patty Smith. Yeah. Like kind of going line for line on, you know, land or something like just mm. collaborating on one of her brilliant sort of songs from horses or something. Um that would be a real thrill just to play off a performer that is so, you know, iconic and generous. Totally. I was, <laughs> I was, I was holding myself back from making the Patty Smith question because I know that you've probably gotten that ten thousand times in your life. So I'm glad you bought it up instead of me. Um, but that's all I have uh, for you, Jen. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had such a pleasure talking to you. Good luck yeah. with everything. Um, and yeah, Thanks. thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks, Jen.